Hello and welcome to Vocal, a show by Sounder where we chat with thriving podcasters to uncover stories and actionable insights that can help other creators sharpen their craft. If you're interested in going behind the scenes of a podcaster's journey, discovering growth tactics that actually worked for the pros, and learning from a diverse range of experts in many fields, you're in the right place. I'm Jackie O, your host for this episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. Today, we're being joined by Nick Moskaluk, a math educator and host of the podcast Ready, Set, Growth. In his show, Nick aims to inspire teachers and help them reimagine their role and the impact they can have on their students. From discussions on leadership, mindset, and specific tactics for successfully engaging and educating students, Nick's podcast is an awesome resource to help teachers navigate the challenges they'll face in the classroom and education system. Personally, I love to see specialists creating podcasts to help others in the field, to prepare for common challenges, and discover higher-level insights from seasoned players. Nick is doing awesome work both in his show and for his community. I hope to cover a few topics with him today from his observations on human psychology as he works with the next generation of adults, his perspective on questions and problem solving, and things he's learned from hosting his podcast for two years. That said, welcome, Nick. Thank you for joining. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to actually be on the other side of the mic talking about, you know, questions and how we ask really great, purposeful, deep, meaningful questions with whoever we're talking to because, uh, you know, I, I deal with a lot of students, but I also work with colleagues and parents and other community members. And the power of asking a really good question can can open up a lot of doors and uh, give you a lot of insight into people that you might not have been able to before. For sure. I mean, first, so maybe a little warm up. Has your show impacted your relationship with your students or other teachers at your school? Uh, you know, I think the kids get a really big kick out of me doing the podcast. Actually, funny story. Uh, we were working on a, on a science project a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago, two weeks ago. And uh, one of my kids comes up to me and he's like, yeah, Mr. M, you know, I listened to your podcast like every episode. I was like, what? Like, this is a 14 year old telling me this. And I was like, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't have to, right? Like, you know, you don't have to. And I kind of just like, kind of just stared at this kid telling me this. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. Like, that's cool. Like, what'd you think? He's like, well, you know, I listen to it. It's, uh, it's really good. I like listening to stuff like that to fall asleep to. And I was just like, oh my (laughs) 14 year old just low-key roasted me in front of the entire class but um you know I think they really they get a kick out of it for me I think there's a lot of uh benefit for my students and colleagues seeing me do stuff or hearing me do stuff that is just a passion project I I sometimes think for a long time teachers have been this like kind of mythical person at the front of the room and kids didn't really know much about them. And uh, I think, you know, opening up those those doors and letting kids kind of see a little bit of who you are, I think is actually really important. Okay, let's, let's pivot to questions. I, okay. I'm really interested in, I just kind of want to open the floor because okay. it, it, this seems like something you've really worked on. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's an entire, it, there's so many layers to it. So I kind of just want to open the floor and like, how do you look at questions? How do we ask the right questions? How do we know we're asking the right questions? What do questions unlock? Like, 
to sort of opening that door for you to explain after yeah. like how how you see questions now. Okay, well, I think for any content creator or really anyone who's in a position where you know you need to have good conversation, um, and this happens in our daily life too. It doesn't have to be in business or podcasting or content creation, whatever it may be. Um, but I'm going to speak to the content creation part, and I think a really big part of it is being prepared to have great questions and and having those questions be ready and to hit hit them with questions that are you know related semi-related and and unrelated to spark a genuine response and I always go with I typically have um you know six to seven questions maybe six to ten but probably no more than that because I try and stick to around 25 30 ish minutes with a with my conversations Mm -hmm. and I do like to have questions ready so that I feel prepared. It helps me feel like I'm in control, but I never prepare a second follow-up or third follow-up question. And I think a big part of that is because I want to have a conversation sound really natural and you never know what a response is going to be. So it's very difficult to say, well, I'm going to ask this after. Well, what if that, what if that response doesn't come? Now you're, you, you get, you can get flustered and okay, well, what's my next step? So I think being prepared, but not being over prepared is really, really key for someone who is going to be doing a interview style uh, podcast. And again, I'm by no means, you know, an expert in interviewing. I think these are just some things that I've learned doing my podcast. How do we ask the right question to solve a problem or unlock a special insight. And this can be in interviewing, but it can be outside of that sort of, I kind of want to zoom out because I think the interviewing skill matters, but like moving to the base of the pyramid, which is having a good relationship to questions. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, for me, when I'm looking for someone to interview and, and, and really unlock great questions, um, I have to be genuinely curious about, something that I'm going to be looking into. Typically, when I'm looking for someone to bring on to the show, I'm using blogs and different posts on websites. There's tons of uh, educational journal type websites. There's one in particular called Edutopia, which is fantastic, an amazing resource for any teacher who's just, you know, literally type in any topic. And Um, I follow them really closely. And when I read something that I'm like, yes, this is, this is really good. But here's the thing, typically in a blog post, you're, you can only, you can only write so much. And so if I read something and it sparks my curiosity, like, well, what, what about this? Or how do I do this? If this happens and I find if I'm reading something and I have kind of those sparks flying of my own, just my own professional curiosity about a topic then I know I can come up with really good questions. And I think, um, you know, I, I actually, you know, I learned this from David Marquet, one of the guests that I had on my show very early on and uh, former uh, uh, submarine captain in the U.S. Navy. Uh, really great books. I love his stuff. And he said, I ask a lot of how questions and I get out of the way. You know, he was saying that in his book, Turn the Ship Around, which... I, I really, really love uh, anyone looking for a great leadership book, turn the ship around. Um, 
he he says a lot of people i had to turn the culture of this submarine around and he did it by asking how questions everyone wanted to him to give the direction they would come to him because he's the captain but he was like i can't do this all the time like i i need other people to step up and so someone would come to him and they'd be like well how do we I, what are we going to do here? And he'd, he'd just simply say like, well, how would you do it? What would your first steps be? How would you move forward with this problem? And flipping the script very simply, asking a lot of how questions and getting out of the way is, is really a really key first step, I think, to asking really good questions. Flipping out and flipping into a how. Yeah. How has teaching students for the last 10 years shaped your perspective on leadership see and just see what I did there where I had to like I had to like that's a great question right very simple but now I'm thinking and that to me is actually before I even answer this question what a great example of a question that was simple it was asked to me and I had to stop for a second to think about it and and that 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 is that's the magic of asking a really good question and i think working with kids for the last 10 plus years and leadership has shown me that you need to be specific in what you see in the people around you and i think when you can give specific examples of good and bad like hey you're amazing at this i see you doing this really well and, and then saying, hey, listen, this is an area where you can get better. I see this. You're doing this. You're so close. This is where you need to be. This is where you're at. What changes do you need to make? How are you going to get there? What are your next steps? Like, what do you think you need to do next before I just tell you or that I give you my guidance? And I think just working with kids and colleagues for the last, you know, decade, um, I think People thrive on asking good questions that they know they see you see them. And I think that's really key. When you can ask or give advice or feedback and you're specific about it, the connections that you can make with people around you is is limitless. Mm-hmm. I'd love at some point, I was I, I, I would love to talk about um like bad, bad questions. How do you know a bad question? Cause I think like there's something there to, if I have something written down that I'd love. No, to let's do okay. it. How, how do you know a bad question? I want to know. Okay. So my example with a bad question and anyone who l- loves sports will know what I'm about to talk about. And it is, you know, I, per, I see this all the time. I watch a lot of hockey up here in Canada. We got a lot of hockey going on and you see bad questions in the sports world all the time and here's the example between intermissions there's a reporter in the tunnel and they're waiting for a player for a coach Uh, you see this in after press conferences too in like the locker rooms as well but this is like classic intermission interview where they're trying to get some insight into the game and the reporter goes on and on and on feeding the athlete the question and then the athlete will say like yeah we need to be tighter in defense and you're like okay <laughs> that like when you give too much information or you provide too much in your question you're you're going to end up with a bad question you're going to end up with very short quick response with no insight 
versus sometimes I just wish that these reporters would say something like what needs to be different out there and then that's it and then that actually gives room for that athlete to actually give a proper response and so we see this in the sports world all the time and I think it's easy to compare like to look at what a good question is when you actually look at a question that isn't presented very well. And it's not that these reporters are can't do that job. Sometimes they just, I feel like, go way too far with the question when they should ask something short and get out of the way. I think that's really key. Absolutely. I, I'm still honing my question craft, but I do see myself doing it. Um, and it feels like a slightly amateur mistake where I'm like stacking I like stack questions and I've, I've done it in this interview too. And so I I need to work on that. I think it's a, it's a confidence thing, like learning to, to drop it out there and and step back. Well, and I think that's, that, that's tough to do because you might get silence. You worried that you're going to get silence, but you won't because if you give, if you give a space for someone to interact with you with a good question, they will, Mm. they, they just, they will. It's, um, I don't know. It's yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And if they don't, it's okay to just take that heat. Like nothing's going to happen. Well, and that's the beauty of podcasting is, is, you know, even within this interview, there'll be parts that are edited and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, Kind of good and bad. If I, and I say this at the beginning of my interviews is like, I'll say to the guests, listen, at any point, if you're just like, Nick, stop. Uh, I need a second or I need to re-say this. If you give people the space to do that, then you probably won't end up actually having to stop. But if you just let them know that there's that space to do that, um, that's the beauty of podcasting. That all gets edited out and no one ever knows about it. Mm, Absolutely. If you have someone or in your experience, if you've had someone who is having a hard time understanding a question almost. Like some people have certain biases and maybe when you're trying to ask certain questions and you're and you're touching up on sensitive subjects for them, they almost just can't see it. Do you have a – does that – this might not make sense, but – Yeah, no, no. I got do you. Do you have a you. way of – how would you approach getting that person to understand the question or to be able to be on the same page as you to answer the question if they feel like stubborn and resistant to the topic or even addressing the subject? And I think that's where the follow-up question is really key because once you get someone talking, once they're talking based on the first question that you asked mm-hmm. – Um, That first question can kind of ease them in. They start talking. There's a flow. That's with the follow-up, the second and the third follow-up. That's where you can really do that. And I think that's where you're going to be able to make kind of slide harder, more kind of thought-provoking questions in. Um, I think also um, I've heard David Hooper talk about this exact issue where If you feel like a guest is being difficult, particularly at the beginning of it, come back to that question in this, you're going to ask essentially the same question, but maybe in a different way later in the interview, after you've kind of got the flow going, you, you can do, you can do exactly what you need to get that information out of them 
in a way that doesn't feel like you're forcing it either. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about podcasting for a little bit. We can pivot. You've been running your show for two years now. So what are some of the big lessons you learned having created and grown it for that long? Oh, man, I think... I, I... I think one thing, if, if anyone's listening who's thinking about doing a podcast in, in any genre of, of, of anything that they like, one thing I would say is, is, you know, make sure it's something that you can sustain and be curious in, uh, that you're really passionate about. Um, at the time when I decided to start my own podcast, I was listening to a wide variety of podcasts and actually maybe only one thing was really related to to teaching all the other ones were a whole bunch of other things but I just loved the the way that we were delivering it on a podcast I had done blogs before teacher blogs but I'd love just talking like that was definitely a strength I, I learned really early on in my youth is that like I can talk and I love talking to other people so um I just yeah I I started it and reached out to people um actually at the very beginning of it it probably almost became a, a podcast about teacher authors because I thought well those are the easiest people to get a hold of because everyone wants to talk about their book mm-hmm. anyone who anyone who's written a book that I've reached out to every single one of them says yes I get very few no's very few no's very few I maybe have had in two years three no's which is which is kind of cool awesome. to me. Podca- podcasting trick number yeah. one: <laughs> reach out to authors. Reach out to authors. They they're very eager, and usually, you know, typically they're 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 really well spoken because you know they do a lot of writing and reading, and and you know they're and again, if they have a book, you you wanna you wanna push your book, and uh, so very early on, it almost became a, a teacher author podcast, and. Uh, it was really cool to to reach out to people that I really, really respected in the education world. And they were saying yes. And I was like, okay, this is really cool. And then I, I just kept finding that like my practice, it was almost reinvigorating to talk to these people because then I'd get to school and be like, okay, we're going to try this because I just heard about this. So now we're going to try it. And um, yeah, just as a podcaster, teacher podcaster, it's just been a lot of fun talking to people that honestly probably if I reached out to them maybe they'd answer an email but you know I say oh hey I want you to come on the podcast and it snowballs right like you get one person and then you reach out to another person and you know you might not hear someone you might not hear back from someone right away and then they'll email and you email you back the next day and be like oh hey uh, I listened to your episode with Dan Finkel or Trevor McKenzie or Pam Harris or uh, Robert Kaplinsky. And they're like, yeah, no, I'll be, I'll come on your show. Yeah, it was a really good interview with blank and you asked great questions. So yeah, I'll definitely come on your show. So, um, you know, it snowballs, it snowballs for sure. And uh, it's just really cool to see that happen. How has, has podcasting um, impacted your life in any way? Has this network that you accrued turned into other events or other interactions or has it changed the way that you think yeah you know it's 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 definitely widening my professional social circle um you know people that I've had on the podcast 
will message each other on Instagram. And it's really cool that that's just like you have that kind of open door to to a lot of different people. And that doesn't even necessarily mean like, oh, this big name. Um, I have, um, I actually just did an episode with Natalie Vardabasso, who has, uh, is a fellow education podcaster, the Edu Crush podcast. And uh, she flipped the script on me and she did a takeover of my episode, which is really cool. And we talked about culturally responsive pedagogy and, um, I have another colleague, Crystal Frommert in Texas, who is, I had her on the podcast and as a guest, and then she reached out to me and said like, Hey, like, I really want to learn more about this. I really like your show. I want to interview someone. Could I do like a take it over episode? I'll find a guest and, and interview them. And so it's cool to see like, I'm casting a a larger social professional social net for myself, but also like for others to, to share in their voice too, which is, which is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Really, really cool. Yeah. I feel like you can, podcasting really opens the door. I mean, especially for introverts, but (laughs) just to make these interesting connections that you might not otherwise, how do you, yeah, sorry, because we were talking about all the, you're reaching out to authors. What's your outreach method for your podcast? Um, I, I, like I said, when I'm asking good questions and giving feedback to kids in class, I try and be specific. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I read a good blog or I see a great video, uh, TED Talk video, or I read a great book, I'll specifically say to that person, like, hey, I read, watched, or took in this and I loved how you spoke so passionately about blank. And I know this topic would add a lot of value to my listeners. I know it added a lot of value to me. If you could spare 25, 30 minutes. Um, There's obviously a little bit more in my email than that, but I, I think being specific with people, I think, I think they appreciate that. I think when you notice the subtleties I've, because when you get a bad email reaching out, you're like, you don't even, you haven't even listened to this show. Like I've gotten a few emails from different people where, Oh, I would be a great guest on your show. Okay. Why? Like, and and if you had listened to any of my episodes, you'd know why you'd be a good, a good, um, guest on my show. And I have no issue. I've had, um, publicists reach out to me for teacher authors and I'm like, yeah, sure. That's great. Um, the book is relevant and you've given me a great reason as to why. So I think being specific and, and if it's something that I just personally genuinely appreciate, then that's easy for me. We can do some quick rapid fire ones. Let's do it. So what what's something that you think teachers know, like see very clearly, know very clearly about other people that non-teachers don't see or know? Oh, um, I think we can tell when someone's uncomfortable very, very quickly. I think we work with with uh, with people so much that I think teachers can, for the most part, I think read people very, very quickly and we can... I think teachers as a whole have very high emotional intelligence and can read um, subtle nonverbal cues quite well. Cool. 
And then an easy one. Just what are some of your favorite podcasts? Ooh, my favorite. Okay. Um, you know, I'm going to go with uh, a, a kind of a big one. I'm going to go with Simon Sinek's um, podcast. Uh, I really, really like Simon's books. Um, start with why um, the infinite game, his newest one. So I really, really like Simon Sinek's uh, podcast. Hold on one second. Let me, I just want to make sure I'm, oh, okay, sorry. So yeah, I'm a really, I really, really like Simon Sinek's uh, A Bit of Optimism. Uh, Such Mm. good guests. Um, Not a super long episode, so those are good. Um, I'm I'm looking at my list right now. Um, I really like Under the Influence. It's a marketing and advertising podcast, which is, which is really, really good. Um, Ted has a really awesome podcast called How to Be a Better Human. Uh, I really love listening to that. And then I have one where it is a, it's like a, uh, it's called the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. And it's all about uh war <laughs> history and i i really like so i have a i have a really big mix 99 percent invisible um mm. that that one is really good um i like a lot of the ted stuff i find they're i know they're just ted talks but i really like i like a lot of the ted stuff too when you look at the generation that you're teaching is it gen z or gen alpha in high school uh i'm i'm like middle school i'm like that kind of that 12 to 14 range Mm -hmm. do you see any patterns in that generation and looking at them becoming the next generation of adults in terms of i I, well yeah i guess it's not in terms of anything just like what are the patterns that you're kind of observing because for most adults you totally remove yourselves like unless you have your own kids you kind of lose touch as to what's happening yeah. with, you know, the next generation that's incoming. So like, you know, in the end, we're all human and yeah. there's a lot of overlap in that. But do you see any trends happening in sort of, you know, behaviors, personalities, cultural things that you notice in your classroom? You know, I, I do think um, I think there is a little bit of, you know, focus on what others have. I think social media contributes to that of, you know what else like what do they have that's better what's the next big thing what like what's the next what you know whatever it is that the trend that's coming up but I think that's kind of been the case for I think that's been the case for every generation to be honest I think social media and digital technology just amplifies that to be honest I think I think for the most part kids are kids and I think just the tools that they have amplify um maybe I'll use the word insecurities that we probably all have as human beings. Um, And so I think there's this idea that, you know, the previous generation was always kind of more with it and they were outside and playing and, and actually maybe that maybe kids aren't playing outside and getting together on, you know, out playing road hockey and out in the courts playing basketball as much as they, they were previously. But on the same side, I think kids are actually more connected with the world than ever before because of, mm-hmm. of the digital tools they have. So it's always hard to, to say, you know, this generation versus any other generation trends and patterns that I see. Um, I think they're more in tune with what's going on in the world than we actually give kids credit for, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if COVID's taught us anything in the last couple of years is that 
kids can do hard things. They have been asked to do really challenging work in the last couple of years in ways that we never thought we'd have to do school. And, uh, you know, for the most part, mm-hmm. obviously there's been, the, there's been challenges, but I think for the most part, they've done a pretty good job from what I've seen. Absolutely. I mean, I've, from what I've observed, and, and again, I'm not in the classrooms with them, but from what I've observed from younger generations, it, it kind of bounces off what you said, where there's almost an increase of empathy and connection, and that's like doubled up with an increase in anxiety and insecurity. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is just the that two sides of, of what technology yeah. has done. What's been your experience of the education system sort of in a wider sphere? Do you feel, I mean, it's been super challenged, you know, from the perspective that I've heard from teachers that I know. What do you see happening, at least in your locale? Yeah, I, 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 teaching has been hard and I know, you know, it's, it's very different in different areas the, of North America. But I think overall, I think we as teachers want to do good work. I think there's a kind of external factors, whether it's government policy or, or district or whatever it may be. But I do feel like we, we want to do good work. We just want to feel like we're supported um, and I, th- I think, you know, getting the support from parents is really key. Um, oh, it's, it's, that's, it's really interesting question, but for me, the way that I do things, I, I guess I want to, when I look at my classroom, I, I would, I say to myself, do I want to be here? First of all, do I want to be here? Okay. If the answer is yes, then that's a good start. Okay. If the answer is no, then I need to really rethink how and why I'm doing certain things in my classroom. If the answer is yes, then I keep going. If I was 13, 14 year old Nick, would I want to be in this class? Would this class help me? Would I feel safe in this class to take risks and and do things that I maybe thought I couldn't do? Okay. And I lead with that because I think I was one of those kids in junior high that I really struggled. Grade eight, grade nine, math. Um, it's probably a miracle I'm a math teacher, but maybe I'm a math teacher for a certain reason looking back now. And I really try and present work in ways that, you know, break learning plateaus and maybe kids haven't seen how I present work, whether it's in these video problems or, you know, presenting science presentations with, doing podcasts. I've, I've introduced podcasting into my own class and the kids love it. I, I never had a teacher do that. And, and that's not a dig at teachers that I had. I had a lot of really good teachers, but I think people do things a certain way because they feel comfortable and that's what their experience was. But I feel like my experience as a student could have been more supportive and more creative. And to me, it's like, well, how can I be more creative? What else can I do? How can I help those around me to share in that creativity? How do I get the kids' hands on learning? Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a really it's a it's a, it's a big question you're asking there, and I think that's another good example of a good question. Um, do you have any projects that you want to shout out? And if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? What's the best way to do that? Uh, you know, if, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, uh, Instagram is, is a really great way of doing that. Ready, set, growth podcast. Um, I'm on there pre- really active on Instagram. I do have Twitter, um, but I'm definitely more, more active on Instagram. I'm 
constantly sharing things that I'm doing in my class and then episodes that are coming out. Um, summer's slowly approaching, which is kind of scary for a teacher this point of the year with planning and getting stuff wrapped up. But I do a lot of, um, I mostly do my recordings in July and August. I try and batch things. Um, now with two little humans of my own at home, uh, recording stuff is it's is a challenge unto itself mm. and, and then plus everything else. So um, yeah, if anyone ever wants to, to reach out, I, um, I try and record in the summer, but uh, as if there's a great guest and someone to talk to, I'll make time for them. And uh, no, no major, major projects, I think, going to try and reach out to some some big names in the education field and keep looking for those everyday teachers. Cause I think those are amazing conversations as well. I think um, if I do have any advice for, you know, podcasters, it's don't always be thinking about like that one big name um, because really how you build is talking to the people in your field, um, the people, the boots on the ground, the people who are in the field doing whatever it is you're doing Um and, and find those amazing voices because they're out there and people are so willing to share. It's unreal. Like, you know, that's one thing my colleagues always ask, like, oh, how do you deal with everyone saying no? And honestly, they don't. They very rarely people will say no because they want to share the wisdom and their thoughts and, and creativity with you. So no big, big projects on the horizon except uh, just keep making content, which is a lot of work. Um, mm -hmm. right now I'm really hoping to get to a hundred episodes and then we'll, we'll see where we're at there. Where are you at now? Um, I think we're in the sixties, fifties, sixties ish. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. not, I don't have a, a tally mark going, but, uh, um, you know, I try and put out, you know, 25, 30 episodes a year from September to May, June ish. And, uh, I take the summers off and uh, do my recording then. Yeah, I mean, and you're putting out a lot of quality and insights. Appreciate that, Jackie. I really do. Thank you so much, Nick. I really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, well, thank you for having me on it. I uh, love talking and, and sharing. And so this was really cool to be on the other side of the mic today. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Vocal Podcast. If you're a podcaster with Sounder who would like to be featured in this show, you can email our team at vocal at sounder.fm. That's V-O-C-A-L at S-O-U-N-D-E-R dot F-M. Until next time.